Welcome back to Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery. This series is brought to you by Surefire Local. In this episode, Mark talks about cash and how you handle it for your business. Also, stay tuned for a special interview with remodeling thought leader, Brian Gottlieb. So with that, I'll let Mark take it away. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you take your business to the next level. One way to do that is taking some time to reflect on issues and topics that I think are quite important, whether they're really in the environment or they're just issues that require you to think about, go a little bit deeper, and reflect on your remodeling business. What I try to do is I listen to many of the top remodeling organizations and leaders out there and really assemble some relevant topics that I think are really important to you. This is supported by National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NERI, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine and produced by Surefire Local, a leading marketing organization in this industry. So what I try to do is With some of these topics, as I said, some of them tend to be a little bit more, I think, high level, thousand foot, let's kind of sit under a tree and reflect on things. And the others tend to be a little bit more pragmatic and a little bit more, I I think, tactical. Today is kind of a blend of both of those worlds. I'm going to be talking about a topic on cash cash within the remodeling business, and more specifically, what I'm titling this is the cash crunch. You know, what I'm hearing out there in the marketplace is people are busier than ever. However, in many cases, their cash flows or the amount of money that they have in the bank is not necessarily what they'd want it to be. You know, in my book, How Fit Is Your Business?, one of the elements that I really target of a fit and healthy business is in fact their cash flow and just as importantly their ability to control the cash flow. If you really think about it, most of your business is pretty predictable. Predictable in terms of expenses, predictable in terms of sales that are coming in, and predictable in terms of production. You know, this isn't like many retailers where you're sitting crossing your fingers hoping somebody's going to show up that particular day or hoping that the weather's okay so that it's not delayed in terms of a retail experience. So one of the things in my book of one of the key fitness characters is by watching and managing and really understanding, I think, cash flow in your business uh, is especially important. So as I said, you know, these are times when we're not necessarily living in scarcity. These are times of abundance. You know, we're seeing good, solid appreciation in the homes, in the stock market. We're also seeing favorable interest rates. So the phone is, in fact, ringing. However, many companies are experiencing longer sales cycles, and therefore, oftentimes, this affects the cash flow in the business. So... Why is this really important? Why is this cash flow? And this sounds a little condescending to some because, of course, it's very important. But the the reality is that you're going to react, I think, very differently in terms of your business decisions if you have a lot of cash sitting there very ha- versus having little. 
you know, one of the things I encourage businesses, don't put yourself in a position that you're making your business decisions based on the amount of money in your checking account. You're doing what is best for the overall business and decisions. Well, if you have a cash flow kind of crunch, it's very easy for someone to say this. However, the reality is you're going to make your decisions based on your checking account, not necessarily what's best for the patient or the business. When you have also cash, I think, crunch, it starts to change, I think, some of the relationships, some of the relationships that you have with subcontractors or trade partners, or some of the relationships certainly with some of your uh, vendors. And you really kind of think about that, how that relates even if you're on the other side of the table. But if you have a plumber or an HVAC contractor or a lumber supplier or material uh, shower glass door supplier, that kind of thing, and you're constantly slow pay, it definitely changes, I think, the way they think about you and their trust with you. It also affects, I think, your clients a bit. You know, think about the times that you have someone constantly asking for money as opposed to just pay at the right, you know, agreed upon time frames and be very professional about it. If you have that kind of edge when it comes to the client, it makes you feel a little bit more desperate. And that desperation comes across in a not real endearing way with your clients. Number four reason on the why is your team. You know, while you may know everything's going to be okay a month from now or six months from now in terms of your cash flow, your team, I think, starts to get a little bit nervous. There's a lot of opportunities out there. You know, I'll hear from some team members their lack of excitement about uh, a particular company in part because of the cash flow being pushed back in terms of things or just some anxiousness or nervousness that's out there. And overall, I think it another reason that this is an important topic is you just don't want it to be stressful. You know, you have enough balls in the air. You have enough priorities within your business that you don't want one of those priorities having to be worrying about the next payments you're making and putting a lot of time and energy. So let me give you some tips. These tips, these 10 tips, we'll call them, uh, and insights as it relates to, I think, this topic. If you just literally write down these 10 things and then you reflect yourself of what other ways can I position and improve, both in terms of understanding the subject, but also improving my cash position or cash crunch situation. The first is I think any business ought to have kind of a little war chest a war chest in terms of a certain amount of money either sitting there or invested that you have access to. Now, a really healthy business, I think, is going to have certainly a little bit larger war chest, but at a minimum, I think you need to have a good, solid, dedicated 10 to 20% of your business cash kind of sitting aside. Now, 10 to 20%, I think, might be very large for some. So if you think about if you're a million-dollar business and you have $20,000 of pure cash just sitting there, that's about 2%. So what I would encourage is focus on getting to that 5 to 10%, seeing how you're feeling about 5 to 10% first, and then build a little bit more of a nest egg or war chest kind of set aside. 
And again, those are just rules of thumb. Five to 10% is a good kind of place to begin with and then having a little bit more in the future. Number two is uh, the monitoring of your cash needs to be part of your day-to-day or part of your weekly activities. I'm a big believer that you probably want to monitor cash on a weekly basis. It's always good to know, in a remodeling business to monitor it on a weekly basis. If you're looking at cash on a daily basis, that might be looking at it too often. If you're looking at it on a monthly basis, that's too long, too much of a gap in between. It's sort of like if you're trying to lose weight, you know, should you be getting on the scale every single day? Well, many kind of experts in terms of monitoring process might encourage you in a weight loss program to get on the scale maybe twice a week. Well, similarly, when it comes to monitoring cash, you want to monitor cash on the right cadence, the right cycle, and I would encourage doing that on a weekly basis. Now, needless to say, if you're below that 5 to 10%, you want to see that increasing over a period of time. And if you're above that, then it's just literally just monitoring it, taking a couple of minutes, savoring how, how it's looking. Number three is knowing why you're up or down in terms of cash. Now, up is just as important of knowing as down. Oftentimes, when I'm working with companies, I will ask, you know, how are you doing in terms of your cash flow? And oftentimes, the response is, oh, we have a little bit of a cash crunch, or it's a little bit of a problem, or on the flip side, oh, we're in very good shape, and this is the reason. Now, the key to this comment of knowing kind of why you're up or you're down, if you don't know why, you don't know how to adjust or, in fact, how to look at it properly. For example, if you've got too much cash sitting there, it might be a false positive. It might be you happen to get some very large deposits that happen to come in, but you really have a cash problem, not necessarily a cash advantage. So by drilling into the why and knowing the why, I think you're going to be more healthy and I think more successful. If you don't know the why, when I ask you, why is your cash down? Why is your cash where it is, where it should be? And why is your cash over? If you don't know the why, then I think it's, it's important that you drill into that. Now, the why could be a particular project or it could be a particular problem. The why could be kind of some process issues. The why could be when, because of some turnover in terms of your company that you're seeing some challenges in terms of how you're investing into new people or the cost of people leaving. Number four, kind of on my tips, is make it a top priority. When you're having a cash crunch, what you need to do is like other elements in in your business, you make it a top priority. And when you make something a top priority, you approach it really differently. I usually encourage companies to have like three top priorities at any time that they're really focused on. It might be, for example, if phone's not ringing, well, we need to make a top priority in terms of our marketing efforts or getting the phone to ring. It might be if sales are off by that particular month or quarter that the top priority is get the sales. It might be from a production because you're seeing the lead times go out so far that the top priority is getting a couple of projects done and 100% complete.
I think similarly, a top priority needs to be the cash flow. So if you have, let's just say for discussion purposes, forty dollars or $50,000 sitting in the bank that you know you'd like to have 100 then a top priority would be filling that bucket, filling that up, and coming up with strategies. Just by making it a top priority, you're going to automatically see some uptick and increase. And then, of course, as we'll talk about in a minute, you also need a plan. Number five on my list of insights and tips is make cash a team sport effort. What you want to do in making cash a team sport effort is you want to think about this project in such a way that it's really critical that you uh, improve upon this issue. By rallying everybody together on your team to be thinking about cash, I think you can be more successful. Now, the key to this is you don't want to be an alarmist. You don't want to create a lot of fear. You want to attack this problem in a very positive way. This is where we are. This is where we need to get to. Now, let's have a group discussion how everyone involved in the team can brainstorm, but also creating the right level of accountability. Now, if you can create a plan and then create the right level of accountability with people involved in sales or accounting or admin, whoever it happens to be, I think then you're going to see some success. Now, getting into some more specifics on number six, as you're thinking about cash crunch, a lot of times the cash crunch are coming from different sources. One of those sources you need to focus on is your client. Now, there's a lot of ways, I think, to look at the client. One is the overall gross profit that's coming out of the project, and are you as effective? Now, fixing gross profit tends to be more of a medium-term thing, not necessarily a short-term, but obviously it always needs to be a priority if gross profit is not what it was estimated to be. But in the short term, what you can do, I think, with cash is you can also take a look at your draw schedules. I think oftentimes people just assume this is the way we ought to always have done it. And in our draw schedule, you're either asking for the wrong amounts of money at the wrong time in the projects. Now, it's really critical that you look at the draw schedule, and by looking at the draw schedule, it's not so much asking for more money up front, it's asking for more money quicker in the process itself. So, for example, you might have a certain amount of money upon signing. But what you want to do is structure your draw schedule, maybe with more smaller bite-sized pieces, but also the start of activities and things that you can control the particular timing. You also want to focus on collections. I think oftentimes we'll say to a client, okay, well, I'll be needing a drawer, needing this payment sometime next week. Well, sometime next week can easily drift into the following week. So try to be more specific. Have weekly meetings set up for the projects, and at this meeting, one of the agenda items is collecting a particular payment or draw. You know, what's critical, I think, to that is be clear, be professional, don't be desperate, but this is the way it needs to happen. The other is addendums and change orders. I think oftentimes we tend to let those build up, but the reality is most remodeling contracts are really structured in such a way that you can collect on those change orders and addendums at the time that really it's due. And I think if you just focus on that particular issue, I think you're going to be more, more successful. 
But what you want to do, again, is I think on this topic as it relates to your client, you want to be aggressive, you want to be professional, but you do not want to be desperate when it comes to your cash flow. Another source of cash and improved cash flow is your uh, trade contractors and your subcontractors. Now, one of the last things that you want to do is damage the relationship long-term with them because of cash. However, the reality is that most of them are small business people and most of them are very understanding tolerant when it comes to cash flow. So just by having conversations with some of them and just say, you know, Bob or Mary, what we'd like to do is make this payment in two weeks if that's okay with you. You know, we're experiencing, because of some draws with the clients, a little bit of a cash crunch, and we just want to see if that would be okay with you. Just by asking permission of your trade contractors and subcontractors, you're going to actually see a better outcome than, in fact, if you automatically kind of cut them off or you don't have a check that's available. Most, if you talk to 10, three or four of them are going to say, that's just fine. Why? Because the relationship is really tolerant. Three or four are going to say, you know, I'm in a cash crunch string and that's not fine. So you better find a way to pay for those. And then you're going to have probably three or four in the middle that if it happens, maybe you push them back a few days rather than a few weeks for the particular payments. Another one is having a line of credit. Now, most small businesses don't necessarily have lines of credit. However, there's a lot of different ways and sources you can get a line of credit. But I would encourage all businesses have a line of credit, especially the million-dollar-plus businesses that are out there. If you don't have a line of credit within your business, you're probably going to experience some level of cash crunch. Now, I'm not suggesting as soon as you get a line of credit that that line of credit really represents something that you're going to immediately go out and invest and spend that money. Lines of credit are insurance policies. Lines of credit are that edge that you really need so that you're not necessarily feeling, I think, kind of this stress that you experience. Go ahead and use a little bit of that line of credit if you put it in place. You know, again, a good rule of thumb is 5 to 10% of the overall revenues of the business, annualized res revenues of business, is a reasonable line of credit to be able to put in place. And if you have a good banking relationship, it only makes it more solid to put a line of credit in place. Now, needless to say, oftentimes as a small business, you'll have to sign personally, but you have to sign personally, quite frankly, on a lot of things, whether you realize it or not. Number nine on my list of kind of insights and tips is take a look at your suppliers. Take a look at your vendors. You might want to adjust the terms that you have with them. In many cases, businesses kind of get caught up into certain ways of doing things. But talk to your friends, talk to your association members, and ask them what kind of terms do they typically structure with their vendors and suppliers. The terms could be in terms of some discounting, but the terms can also be in terms of the timing on the payments. I think most of the vendors and suppliers are really, quite frankly, expecting you to be at least 30 days and sometimes 45 or 60 days out in terms of some of these payments. So you might as well at least be aware and take advantage of what is the tolerance that you can work with as you see cash coming in, certainly from the clients, versus cash coming out going to them. In many ways, 
This is a cash cow business. You just need to realize that you are working with the spreads. And in by those working with the spreads, you should put yourself in a pretty positive position. The last one, which is a little bit different twist on this, is if you make the cash an integral part of your business discussions with your leadership team, and if, in fact, you see the cash go up, you should be celebrating success as a result of improving the cash flow. If your cash is down at $50,000 in cash and you want it to be 100 or if it's down at ten and you want it to be at 50 you should actually make a point to celebrate within your team when you fill that bucket up with the additional cash that's required. And again, in closing, you know, this is not a subject that it's a matter of, you know, uh, success or lack of success. This is a matter of your processes. This is a matter of your behaviors. This is a matter that you can make the best decisions with your business because you're looking at things through the right lenses. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And again, want to thank certainly my supporters with Nary and Professional Remodeler as well. And I'm hoping that everyone is having a very successful summer. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Mark. As you wrap your head around what Mark shared with us today, I wanted to jump into an interview between Mark and Brian, who is someone you really want to pay attention to. His creative thinking, how he's positioning his business, and his own personal story is all very interesting. Take a listen. So welcome, Brian. It's great to uh, have a chance to talk about you and talk about your business. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for inviting me. Really appreciate it. Look forward to our conversation today. Excellent. So what I'd like to do, needless to say, I think most remodeling businesses are certainly led by unique personalities and unique stories. So let's talk a little bit about Brian Gottlieb and uh, the business and, and, and just how you sort of got into this sort of fun arena here called a remodeling business. Yeah, and it is certainly a fun arena. So, you know, the journey, the, the story, my personal story on how this all began, I mean, it's really a, it's really a story about how one discovers, you know, how, one, how one achieves self-realization, how one really achieves their dreams. And I'll, I'll share with you what I mean. So uh, years and years ago, I used to carry a bag into the home doing in-home sales uh, most of my adult life. And, and, and I actually love that part. But, you know, in this industry, you, you, you start to move up the ladder in a business. So I moved from salesperson up to sales manager. And when I became a sales manager, I really enjoyed working with others, developing my salespeople around me, uh, you know, helping them accomplish things greater than they ever thought possible on their own uh, was something that really, really lit me up every day. And, and I guess it was uh, the early 2000s when I said to myself, I could actually do this for a living. So I, I left the day-to-day -day sales management and started my own consulting business uh, called Silverstone Training, where I, where I wrote sales models and such. And it was really an interesting story when I talk about self-realization. Because in my early days as a sales trainer, I thought my real point of differentiation was teaching people how to close and teaching people how to overcome objections. And, you know, it's interesting because we talk about how important it is to survey our customers to find out who we are as a business. Uh, my personal experience by surveying salespeople, the surveys I got back from salespeople all over the country was I heard words like inspirational, motivational. These are words of how they described uh, the events that we put on together. 
I never saw myself as an inspirational individual. I always thought of myself as a trainer. Once I connected to myself that realized that why I have this inspirational side, that's when my career really took off. Now, I'll share with you why that's important. You know, in, in a company, when we ask our customers who we really are, it helps us identify who we really are and, and really helps us really take off. So tell us a little bit about uh, sort of the, the, the genesis or, or the, the, the beginnings of your business. Sure. In, as we all know, in 2008 and 2009, a lot of companies went out of business all over the place. And, and I believe that, that whenever there's a problem, it, it's on the other side of the coin is what's the opportunity. And here in Wisconsin, uh, the, the problem was a, a lot of companies went out of business. But the opportunity meant there were a lot of great craftspeople sitting around looking to work. So in May of 2009, on, the, on a plastic folding t- table in the back of a friend's warehouse, I opened up the doors of Tundra Land Home Improvements. Uh, I opened it up. I remember my wife and I talking about it. And uh, you know, it, At the time, the banks weren't lending money. Uh, money was really, really tight. And so we took $3,000 in cash and opened up this business in May of 2009. And, and I'll tell you what, that, that money had to work. <laughs> there, wasn't like, there wasn't like another $3,000 behind it. And you know, today, interesting enough, from, from the day that that business opened to today, we have over 175 employees. And we'll talk more about some of the really cool things we do with our business. But the idea back then was to open up a different type of business, not just another home improvement company that, that builds stuff. Uh, we wanted to try to open up a business that did well, but also did good. A company where, where, where instead of just offering up a job to people, where we can really provide a career path, where we can create a different type of, of work environment, where we could be more than just a, a company, where we can actually be a brand that's woven into the fabric of a community. And, and that so was, why don't that you was give the early me, days. Why don't you give me, Brian, an example of that? which is a wonderful theme of, you know, wanted to do well, but also uh, do good. What, what I think those words certainly probably resonate for many people listening to this, but how do, how do those words translate into, uh, you know, a real world situation? Sure. So recognizing that the, the do well, do good philosophy uh, is, is so part of our culture. In fact, you can make the case that if our competition wants to copy our process, they first have to copy what's going on inside of our people's heads. That's how important that do well, do good culture philosophy is. So what we do is, and, and the way we prove it and the way we demonstrate it to the community is we randomly, each month, we do a free home improvement project for somebody, uh, whether we, we crash a veteran's bathroom while they're not home and, and make it handicap accessible, or we, uh, we, we, we surprise another veteran family at, at a baseball game and, and award them with a giant check for $10,000 just randomly uh, for, for, for a home improvement project. Uh, we sponsor uh, music events and, and send kids to music school. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But at, and even our Windows for a Cause program, which is where we work with, old, with, we work with artists and we take old windows that we take out of people's homes and we, we – and in fact, I should really dig into this story with you. Uh, our Windows for a Cause that program. Story. That's one of one story that I think everyone should really sort of savor. So let's, you know, sort of unpack it a little bit and share that story, Brian. Sure. So 
recognizing the business started in, in 2009, a couple of years ago, we decided to get into replacement windows. We started with sunrooms, then we moved into bathrooms, and then we moved into replacement windows. And because we have a do-well, do-good mentality, we wanted to come up with a different way to launch our window business, to really be recognized in our community as a company that does replacement windows. So we started pulling old, as we're installing windows in people's homes, the, the old windows we're taking out are just piling up outside of our warehouse and filling up our dumpster. And as a team, we, we, we thought it was such a shame to see old windows just being sent off to the landfill. So we had this idea that if we could work with local artists community members, business owners, all kinds of people inside of this community uh, to, to take an old window and paint it and turn it into a beautiful piece of art. And so now what we do, and this is our second year doing it, uh, each year we, we send out old windows to artists and community members and they turn them into amazing pieces of art. We then take the windows and we put them on display once a year at the Performing Arts Center and we do a giant silent auction where, where the windows are on display and people can come in. It's, it's, a, it's a venue that's open to the public and people can bid on these windows and, they can, and we raise money off of these windows. We raise a lot of money off these beautiful pieces of art. And then each year what we do with the money that we raise is we, we significantly change a deserving individual's life with it. So wow. last year, a fellow named John Green was a Vietnam era war veteran who was stuck in a wheelchair for over 40 years. Imagine not being able to stand up and have a conversation for over 40 years. He was our recipient from our first Windows for a Cause program. The money raised, we bought him a custom wheelchair that stands up. It's a hydraulic wheelchair. So for the first time in 40 years, John Green can look somebody in the eye while having a conversation wow. off of windows that would normally go in the trash. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, another another element I think of your business that I want maybe you to talk a little bit about, Brian, is one that it's a theme that I've been spending a lot of time talking about, and that is today more than ever, time is a differentiator as much or more than the quality of the product or just the client experience. And I know recently you've launched something that I think is really quite interesting, which is a focusing on decks and how quickly they, they can be done. Maybe you can share uh, a little bit about that business model, but also, uh, you know, how, how it's going. Yeah. So this year, you're right. People care most about convenience and time. And I think that's really going to be you know, some of the future things in the home improvement business that more important than brand is probably how quick they can get something done. Uh, we're, we're, in a, we're in a microwave society like never before. So we launched our, uh, as you know, we do one day baths and we do a lot of them. We do a couple of hundred of them a month. And what we found is customers, boy, oh boy, if we could install a bath for a customer tomorrow, would they be happy? So as we stepped into our, our new uh, division, which is decks in a day, where and we inventory certain deck colors. We only have five different colors. And what we're able to do is we're able to go to somebody's home, give them a price on a deck, and actually install it within seven days. And most decks are done in just one day. So it's a seven-day turn time, and it's done in just a day. And i got to share something with you. that This part of the business has really, really exploded. It's a real nice division. Really exciting. And it's, it's because it's through the lens of the customer. You know, how often do we have to... I think as a business owner, and as, a, as, a, as any, anybody listening to this, to this uh, recording right now, there are opportunities in the market to look for how you could be a significant disruptor. 
How can you take the existing industry as it stands, look for a pain point in the industry, and you look at the deck business. You know, companies all over the people, homeowners, you know, they call up landscapers, they call up deck companies, and they have to wait, you know, weeks for an appointment and then months for a deck. By, by making a simple shift, by limiting selection and offering a faster turn time, anybody can be a disruptor in this industry. And, and it's important that we always look for the opportunity to be a disruptor. You know, and I think what's wonderful about it too, Brian, is when we first or you first introduced this to me and you, you said more explicitly that, you know, you say to a homeowner, you know, when you leave for work in the morning and then you come back, you're going to have a new deck to grill a steak or have a glass of wine on. And Correct. that that image of that experience of leaving your home in the morning and coming back with this, it's almost like the birth of a child or something onto <laughs> your house. It's, it's just not only wonderful, but, but it's, 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 it is very stress-free and, and very appealing. Yeah, it's and it's, it's and again, it's very customer focused. And and as long as we stay customer focused, and, and I think any businesses we can you know limit our selection, increase our turn time. What it does is it it makes a better experience for the customer, and it makes a better experience for the bottom line of the business. So excellent, win win. So with your experiences, experiences you know as a remodeler outside the industry, servicing the remodelers training the remodeling industry with all these diverse experiences if if you had to sort of sort of look at success in this big pot and let it simmer and boil and boil down and you looked at just a few key things that you really wanted to share to the many many remodelers that are out there what would be you know your top say one two or three kind of keys to success yeah the first key to success that, that we share with everybody in this organization, the first key to success is understanding that, that chaos drives revenue, but discipline drives profits. And I think there are a lot of companies that get stuck in chaos to drive top-line revenue, but it's the discipline of, of operations, of culture, of, of, of execution. It's discipline that drives profits. Excellent. And yeah, it's, it's really important. Um, combined Number two. Yeah. Um, number two, and, and it could be, these are in no particular order, but right. um, people, as a leader of an organization, as a leader of an organization, first and foremost, it's our responsibility to reach inside of the hearts of others and pull out the best of them. To constantly recognize that, that we will, we will we become the people we surround ourselves with. And, and it's, it's our responsibility to, to develop, encourage, and inspire those around us inside of our organization to really accomplish things huge, to give everybody a story worth telling. That, that notion, that, that idea that, that you can't spend enough time developing others. You can't spend enough. It, it, it's an endless process, and every moment you spend developing somebody else goes directly to the benefit of the business. It is, it is so, so important. And, and it's something you got to make time for. So that's number two or number one. Okay. How about number three? Do you have sure. another number, one for us? Yeah. Number three is what I would call Kaizen. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kaizen, Mark. Yes, I have. Maybe Kaizen, you can explain it for, the, uh, for, for our listeners. Yeah. Kaizen is about process over people. It's, it, it's really trying to figure out 
look for the problems inside of a business and solve them with all your and keep searching for the real problem and not the and and not, and don't get don't confuse symptom with problem by example you might have a sales force with a low closing average now now you might think the low closing average is the problem when in fact the low closing average is merely the symptom drilling back asking why 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 do we really drilling down and being honest with your business and honest with and the people being honest with your business knowing that that their job is safe it's about process not people and kaizen is the philosophy of attacking it with everything you've got and it'll make you a strong business excellent you know and i think one thing to summarize some of brian's sort of keys to success is it it's really clear whether it's focus on discipline focusing on making the best of people or focus on some of the Kaizen thinking, it's all about you owning your success. You know, success is not something you sit back and sort of hit a lottery and become successful. You know, Brian, I think, shares this. Every single thing he's doing are either ideas to differentiate themselves or to, or to put into action. So it, it, it's really quite amazing. And Brian, we didn't really talk about numbers, but you launched the business in 2008. Uh, what sort of gross revenues are you projecting for 2017? I think we'll comfortably uh, hit $38 million this year. Oh, in, my goodness. Revenue. Yeah. So it's been amazing. And, and you should know that you don't need the bank's money to get here because we're a debt-free company. That's, that initial $3,000 was the only money that was ever put into this business. So we, we pay for things as we go. We, we, we finance our own debt. If you, surround, if you surround yourself with people that believe in you, you know, Mark, if, if you want to build a ship to sail across the mighty ocean, don't just run around and hire a bunch of people and teach them how to swing a hammer. First, get those people to yearn for the open sea. And the ship you Very build cool. will be absolutely amazing. Very cool. So let's just look into your crystal ball. Let's look out sure. to the future. Um, future being 2018, 19. Obviously, as we get 10 years out, it gets especially fuzzy with certainly technologies and things. But what, what, what do you see in the future of remodeling? Yeah, I'll give you the upside and the downside, but I'll give you the downside first. I think I'll give you the problem, but then I'll share with you the opportunity. I think as 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 expenses, you know, when when I was when I was growing up, I'm 57 years old, but but when I was 19 or 20 or 30 years old, I didn't even 35. I didn't have a cable bill and I didn't have a cell phone bill and I didn't have all these other bills that were naturally baked in. So it was, I think, a little easier for for a, a, a one person to work with and, and have a stay-at-home wife or or you know a situation like that. Today, it's it's going to get harder and harder for for to get two people to the kitchen table at the same time for an appointment and it's going to continue to get harder because the income required because of the lifestyle people have so i think we as an industry have to have to evolve from just looking at a, a two-legged appointment as the only way to sell um especially five six seven years from now it's already getting harder i think everybody can realize can admit that um, I, th I think the internet's going to play. I think our industry hasn't come around to to selling online, but I think there's some real opportunity there. Um, Absolutely. Yep. And, and I also think that that 
shop local is a big trend. Uh, uh, craft beers brewed locally. Um, uh, organic foods cooked locally. I think a local brand, a local brand woven into the fabric of a community is who people are going to want to do business with. And I think that the that the future of our industry is going to you you have to have that local organic flavor in your business because because what if because if you don't if somebody else comes along and claims the position of being local organic I think they can really put a dent in your business. Well, Brian, you've given us huge amount to think about not only in terms of what to do today and actions into the business that you can certainly think about improving, but certainly a lot to reflect on for the future. So I really want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank also uh, Professional Remodeler for really supporting this effort of bringing together some of the best of the best through our thought leaders. Also want to thank uh, Surefire Local uh, for actually putting together the program here for us and, and really delivering that to you. Uh, so I encourage anyone that wants to reach out that's listening to this, you certainly can communicate back through either Professional Remodeler or Surefire or myself. Brian Gottlieb will connect the dots for those that would like to connect to him. So thanks, Brian, and, and uh, congratulations on just an Thank amazing, you. amazing run here for the last 10 years. Thanks for letting me share the story. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck to everybody. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening in to episode 102 of Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery, brought to you by Surefire Local. We hope you enjoyed the topic today of cash and were able to take away some important tips from Mark's chat with Brian. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next time.